0: You are more sinful than you ever thought you were and you are more loved than you ever dreamed you could be the beauty of that statement is that it doesn't become unrealistic at either end not the sin end or the grace end your sinfulness which is worse than you think is paid for at infinite cost And God's valuing you is a free gift of grace that you don't deserve but he delights to give that's why he gives he wants to value you and so go ahead and let yourself see the fullness of your sin but with every glimpse remind yourself of the infinite cost that was paid so that you don't dishonor the beauties of the Lord's sacrifice by holding on to the guilt that he paid to remove. And every time there's the slightest sense he loves me, he values me, he's taking me into his family, don't let that produce a big hit. It won't because you don't deserve any of that. It is a free blood-bought gift of grace overflowing from the heart of God. You didn't earn it, you didn't constrain it, but He loves to give it. Now God's disapproval of our imperfections, which are real and daily, is never a contempt for us. His disapproval of things in us is never contempt. So Hebrews 12 speaks of discipline, right? And what are the words used to describe that? For the Lord disciplines the one whom He loves. And chastises every son he receives. And Proverbs, that's being quoted here, is even stronger. The Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Those things feel separate to most of us, and so we have to reschool ourselves with texts like this for God's children even while he is spanking them, even while there is a frown of disapproval on a behavior or an attitude. He never holds them in contempt. He never ceases to love them. He never ceases even to delight in them as his children. So let's dwell on the wonders of grace. Let every sense of unworthiness send you higher into orbit of praise for the infiniteness of the price paid for you. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom.
1: You guys doing all right today? Good deal. We're starting a new series in the book of Philippians, and we'll be in it for some time. I'd like to read to you the passage of Scripture we'll be preaching from today. Paul and Timothy, service of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Jesus Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. And I am sure of this, So you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. The time is upon us for uh, March Madness. And for some of you ladies, you just completely zoned out on me because you're like basketball. I know my husband's going to be into that. Some of you love it. Some of you ladies love it. But March Madness is here. And I want to show you something um, that hit me right in the feels. Do you know, have you ever heard that phrase before, right in the feels? Okay, you know what I mean? Do you know what it means? Like something gets you and it's like, okay, even like guys are, you know, (laughs) that made me cry, man. We were cutting onions or something, okay? I watched this press conference. Uh, Well, not the whole thing because that would have been weird, but there's this sports center put this out as a press conference about a young man who was a senior in high school and he played in the Alabama State Championships basketball tournament. And they lost, but he's talking about his coach. And this hit me all in the feels. And uh, I want you to see it, too.
2: It's been a long time since you know you've has been in the state championship. And since day one, I remember the first day Coach Smith came in the gym, he told me, he said, he said, if you want to be a state champion, you got to be different. Everybody can't be a state champion. And i never forget a word that man said to me. And each and every second that wind down, I was just thinking, I got to be different. I got to separate myself. I got to separate myself to show that I'm different, because I wanted to be a state champion. And we fell one point short. But I know all of those young guys in that locker room, they have a bright future. Because everything that I've been through, they're going through, and they still have to go through. So it's only going to make them better. This man right there is the best coach I ever had in my life. I wouldn't trade him for the world. That's awesome.
1: Real quick, quick, Terrell, um, you talk about being different. And and to the fans in the stands and to all of us, you, you look different out there. You play with a lot of emotion. Uh, a lot of fire the relationship between those two people had resulted in these in in these fields right and I watched that in uh in 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 the room i was my office at the house and i'm gonna be honest with you, I got a little misty eyed because if you've ever had a relationship with somebody like that you know it you see it that that mutual a- admiration and this this kid to at the end of a long journey at the end of a long season where they just didn't they just didn't get over the peak to win it all but they had put so much in together and that that man meant so much to him and obviously that kid meant so much to that coach that there is this emotion there that it just gets you and i want i want us to think about that because paul in his letter to the philippians he's like the coach And they're like the players. And they have this mutual relationship of love and thanksgiving for one another. And that's right where we need to be today. And Paul, in this letter to the Philippians, at the very beginning, he talks about how thankful he is for God's people in the church of Philippi. And I want us to walk through this, and I want us to understand something, that we should, it is right and good for us to feel joyful thanksgiving for church, for the people of God. Now, that can be a hard thing because when I say we need, we should feel a joyful thanksgiving for the church, the people of God, I'm talking about the capital C church, the church of every believer in Jesus Christ throughout the world, that church, but also the local expression of the church. And let's be honest with us, many of us have been hurt by a church before. Many of us have been in that place where we didn't think we needed to be at a church. And so sometimes the idea of church doesn't necessarily well up with us, well up inside of us thanksgiving and joy. But I want to pose to you that, that you should, when you think about church, no matter what has happened to you before, that it is right and good for you to well up with thanksgiving and joy when you're thinking about God's people and God's people together. And I'm going to argue that this is what Paul's doing here this morning. And so if we look in Philippians chapter 1, if you had a Bible, please turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. you got a Bible app, go for it. Philippians chapter 1, Paul says this. It's a typical greeting he starts it off with. We would usually start, dear so-and-so, in this letter. It, it, it's kind of good. I, in fact, I like this about Greek letters. If you read a Greek letter, they put who it's from first. We, where do we put who it's from at the end, okay? And so here's the thing about it. It's nice to know who it's from. Because then, at the very beginning, so then you get disregarded if you don't want to hear from that person. Don't lie. When your phone rings and you see that person, you're like, oops, ignore, you liars. You're thinking like, no, I don't ever do that. You know, you. Like, I can't handle that right now. I can't bring that drama in my life, okay? So the Greek letters are great because it's like, here's who it is. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And so here's what's happening. Paul, the apostle, untimely born, which means he came to faith after Christ had risen. The risen Christ appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, set him from being a persecutor of the church to being a planter of the church. And he is this apostle called out for this specific reason, and he has taken under his wing disciples and co-pastors to help him in this journey. And Timothy is one of those guys. In fact, Timothy has two letters in the New Testament addressed to him under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And so Paul is writing with Timothy. They are laboring together. They would have known, the people of Philippi would have known Timothy if you look back at Acts chapter 16, Timothy was there to help plant that church. And so they have a relationship with him. And so they're like, it's like, you know this. This is who we are. Paul helped plant it. Timothy was there, a part of it. Now, Timothy here is likely not the person who is. Is writing. He is the person who is dictating. It's what the with the New Testament scholars would call an amanuensis. That's a fun word. You can write that down. Try to spell that. Okay. An amanuensis is basically like a secretary in a sense that he is. Right, Paul's dictating and he's writing it down. He is a huge help to Paul because Paul at this point he's a servant to Jesus Christ and he's in chains. He's in prison in Rome. So just want to get this. This is one of those one of those letters and we call it a, in the Bible in the New Testament we talk about a letter being an epistle. That's what that word means. And so this is an epistle from prison. So this is like this is like correspondence from jail. And he is there not because he committed a crime but because of Jesus Christ and preaching Jesus. He has gone all the way to Rome and he's in prison. So Paul's writing and then he He says who he is so you could know if you needed to to dismiss the call or not. And then it's Paul and Timothy. They weren't going to dismiss this call. They have affection for Paul and Timothy because they planted this church in Philippi. To the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. And I want you to know, Philippi is this part of the world. This is written probably around 62 A.D., which is a long time from now, because we're in 2018, go back to 62. If you want to do some math, by all means. If you've got to take your shoes off, you know, make sure it don't stink, okay? So here's the deal. That's trickle. Every you okay? Everybody awake this morning. I know we like daylight savings. And that's like getting kicked in the brain. I understand that, okay? And so here's this thing. They're in Philippi, which is modern-day Greece, okay? They're just off the coast of the Aegean Sea. And, and it's interesting because Paul was in Turkey and was trying to go north, but the Lord led him. If you go back and look at Acts chapter 16 in a dream, a man from Macedonia or this area. And Macedonia was the name that the, the, the Romans had labeled this area, but it's really Greece. And, and this guy from Macedonia came to Paul in a dream and said, come and help us. So God had led them to there, and they, this church is planted. So Paul has a lot of emotion involved with this church. Philippi is in Greece. It's just off the sea. It is actually a pretty big, well-to-do city. It's kind of an up-and-coming city. If you want to think about it, think about Nashville, okay? You know how Nashville, like, real estate prices are soaring, okay? Everybody's moving out of Nashville because of the real estate prices are so, and because of the hipster quotient, which is super high, okay? Um, if you don't have a mustache, okay, you're just getting out of there, all right? And so think about it. It's an up-and-coming city. This is a city that is well-known in the Roman Empire. It has, it's, it's not a Jewish city. It's a Roman city, and there's a lot of paganism, a lot of worship of gods, uh, a lot of worship of 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 the uh, Greek ancient Greek gods, now the Roman gods. And there's even some emperor worship going on in this place. And so these people are in a culture. It's a growing city in its prominence, but it's pagan. And what happens is, God has sent Paul and sent him several years before the writing of this letter to plant a church there, and a church is planted. And he is writing to that that church there that now has overseers and deacons. That's another way to say elder or pastor. And so each church here, or this church, had several, a plurality of people who pastored the church, which we try to follow here. And I think it's a biblical example of not just having one lead pastor, but having a host of them, a group of elders to help pastor and lead the church, and also to the deacons. It's an office here of service. You can see that in Acts chapter 7. You can see that we have that here. We're trying to function like a New Testament church. And so Paul's writing to the leadership and to the whole church, all the saints, the holy ones of God. And so here's the just, the, you just need to get this you ever said, I'm I'm no saint? If you're in Jesus, you are. No, I'm not saying you're perfect. We know that's not the case, okay? But I'm a saint, and you know I'm not perfect. And so why do I say that? Because it means holy ones. It means that we are called out by God, saved by him, set apart, justified. Fully by the grace of Jesus Christ, and so the people in the church are holy not because they have arrived, but because of God has decreed it that way. And so Paul is writing to this church, filled with believers, who has has a leadership team in place with overseers and servants and the deacons, and then he says this grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says to you, and this would be a normal, usually how a letter would go would be greeting. It would say, I greet you. But Paul, he's going to flip the script because all of the Christian life is about grace. And so what does he want to see in these people? He wants to see the grace of God wants to see it go forth and abound because it was grace that led them to the cross and it graces that keeps them at the cross and it's grace that makes them saints and so he says i want grace to be with you not just a greeting i want grace to be in your midst and peace Peace is not like, man, peace, okay? Peace is not, we're not talking about 60s peace, okay? We're not talking about that just mellowing out, man, peace, okay? You ever notice that most of the time that the people that say peace to you, you want to do the most violent damage to? I mean, maybe that's just me, okay? Like peace, man. Like, Dude, you got to get riled up about something, okay? No, what the peace here is this shalom, okay? It's the, the, if the Old Testament idea of having the peace of God, knowing God's presence in your life and knowing that peace that comes from that. And Paul wants this, and he acknowledges that all grace and peace and all good things that has come to the Philippians, it, it comes from the Father above, and he says his grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So who's sending the letter? We got it. We're not going to dismiss the call. It's Paul and it's Timothy writing to this church in the middle of a pagan land, but there are lights in the darkness, and and they are a manifestation of grace here. And so he is going to say some very very strong, strongly, strong words to them about how much he loves and is thankful for them. In verse three, it says this, I thank God in all my remembrances of you. So every time I remember you, I just thank God for you. And he goes on, he says, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. And so his idea is this. Every time he goes to prayer and he thinks about the Philippians, he raises up a joyful prayer for them. Now, this is very interesting. Remember the situation I just told you he was in. He is in prison. Prisons aren't known for being great places filled with joy. Okay? For example, when, you, when, the, when someone wins the Super Bowl, they don't say, where are you going? And he's like, Prison! It's Disney World, right? That's a place of joy. Maybe not for some, but for many, a place of joy, okay? And so you get pumped, okay? When was the last time you told somebody, like, you're really excited, guess what? I'm going to a prison today. It's going to be awesome. When's was the last time you booked accommodations at a prison? Like, maybe you're one of those weird ghost hunters. I've been to one of those, like, old abandoned prisons, okay, up in uh, West Virginia. You know my love affair with West Virginia, okay? Okay? And so I was up there, and you could actually pay to spend the night on death row. And I'm like, why? Why? Why would you ever want to do that? And so I want, the situation is important because one of the themes of this letter is joy. And I want you to get this. There is something better than just being happy. And it's a joy that surpasses circumstances. And what is giving Paul joy while he is in prison is the fact that his labors in the gospel, his that he has poured his life into are walking as saints with grace. And he is thankful for them. And he prays. When he prays these Thanksgiving prayers, they're filled with joy. And he is strengthened in his chains in prison because of this. And his life is filled with joy even in the midst of awful circumstances. And that is one of the key themes of this letter. Going on, in verse five, it says, "Because so here's gonna say now here's why I rejoice. Here is why I am why I, when I think about you, I give thanks and I and I overflow with joy." In verse five, it says, "Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, we're going to come back to that. So just just remember that." Verse six, and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Remember that. So there's two reasons for thankfulness. Number one here is that they've been partners with him in the gospel, and then also that God has begun a work and he will complete the work. In verse seven, it says this It is right for me to feel this way about you, about you all. Almost, it's almost southern there, about y'all, all right? It goes, he says, Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is here, and I want you to note this, and here's what I was getting at earlier and what our message is about today. Paul said it is right for me to feel. Feel what? This way about you all, how does he feel? This overwhelming sense of joyful thanksgiving for the people of God at Philippi. He feels this and he says, it is right for me to feel this way. When my wife, when my wife and I were trying to, to have Judson, to get pregnant with Judson, they put her on some medication that made her want to murder me. Okay? And we're sitting and we're eating dinner and I'm just going to town. I forget what it was, but I'm going. And all of a sudden dinner is abruptly ended as she sl- and she's going to love. She's downstairs. Pray for her, okay? She don't mind me telling you this, right? I hope I didn't clear this. And so pray for me. And so she took her knife and fork. It slammed them on the table and she says, "Have you always chewed so loudly?" I guess. (laughs) And she's like, you also whistle when you breathe. I'm like, I can't stop that. (laughs) And then as the rage, you saw the rage turn into sorrow. And she goes, I don't know why I like this. And I was just like, Jesus, take the wheel. I mean, that's what it was. (laughs) The result is good. We got a kid. It's all gravy. All right. So but what I get at is that is, is the Bible tells us how to feel. Okay. Many of you are going to have a problem with that. But it tells us to love God. Do you realize something? That is something that has to happen. God tells us to do impossible things, like be born again. Okay, just think about that for a minute. How many of you ever you had anything to do with your birth? You were present. That's it. Nothing. But be born again. I oh, was it? I didn't have anything to do with the first time. How are you doing that? It's got to be God's work, and God will tell you how to feel, and He will tell you how not to feel in places through His Word. And so you know what you do when you feel that way? There's two ways. Our culture just says, just go with it. Just feel however you want to. That's why we got people shooting each other on the interstate. That's just how I feel. Well, big whoop. All right? If everybody did whatever they felt like, we'd be in a mess. Sometimes I feel like bashing people's headlights in because they can't drive their car. Or I feel like at Walmart, have you ever done that one of those ones where they park the buggy on this side? Andrew mentioned last time, they park the buggy over here and then they go to this aisle. Why? Are you trying to get in my way? Like, do you want me to drop kick you? I know that you're having, I know that you're seeing this in me, but our feeling, that feeling's wrong, right? The Bible tells us how to feel and how not to feel. And Paul is saying, I am right. It is right for me to feel this love and joy about the, about the grace in this church. It's right and good. And not only that, this feel word is actually the word in, most, in, in a lot of other places is going to be translated think. Okay? And so very interestingly, I want you to think about this, okay? Thinking and feelings go hand in hand especially in the Bible idea of the person. If your thinking is wrong, your feelings will be wrong. And if your thinking is right, your feelings will probably catch up to your thinking. And who renews the mind? God does, through his word. It, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. And when we change our thinking, just you can see this, you know this. Never ever been in a situation where you go in thinking this is going to be a bad day? And what do you usually have? A bad day. If you're going in thinking, like, this is stupid, what are you, you going to get out of it? This is stupid. Okay? And you, have, you ever walked in at work and they're having some training and you're like, yes, I know how to not cut my arm off with the baler. Okay, I get you. Don't put my arm in this heavy <laughs> piece of machinery. Okay, don't do that. Or you're going to go over this thing again, the HR thing, the carpal tunnel thing again. You're going to go over that again. Yeah, that's what we need. Thank you for that. I really want So you go in and you're like, great, training day. Awesome. And what are you going to get out of that? bored, probably agitated, maybe angry. I don't know. But that is what you, 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 when you're thinking, affects your feelings. And so Paul is saying, it's right for me to think about you and feel this way. There's a relationship, there's a correlation between thinking and feeling. Okay? And Paul would use it, he's going to use this word, joy is one of the major words that's used all throughout the book, or the letter to the Philippians, but also thinking and feeling. And so we have this idea, this combination that thinking leads to feeling. Okay? And so what we have here, and Paul is saying, it is right and good. What does he exactly say in verse 7? He says, it is right for me this, to feel this way about you, to feel this thanksgiving, and to pray for you, and to want God to work in you. It's right for me because I hold you in my heart. There's a special place in Paul's affections, okay? We, the word here doesn't just mean heart, but it means kind of our, 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 our most guttural place of our affections, and so it is right for me to have you in my affections. And then he goes on, because for you are all partakers of grace. Why is, he, why is it right and good for him to, hold him to hold these people in his heart? Because they're all partakers of grace. That's what it means to be in a church. It means you have to be a member and a part of the body. It means you have trusted in the grace revealed in Jesus Christ. You've put all your faith there and you have been raised to a new life. And he is thankful for the grace of God that has been seen in this congregation. And he says, because of that, And then not only that, but by my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. And then he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Why does he have all these affectionate thoughts because of that in them? Because of the grace of God revealed. And so Paul is saying, it is right and correct and good for me to feel about the church in these really strong ways because of the grace of God manifested there. So I want you, I want to go ahead and put this out here for you. It is right and good, and it should be in your life that you have a deep love, joyful thankfulness for the grace of God manifested in his people in the local church, and in the church, big church, the capital church, the universal church. And so here's the thing, if you do not love the church, you probably don't love Jesus. That's strong. But why? Why would I say that? Because it's the grace of God revealed in a people. And God didn't just call out individuals. He called out people to make. He called out individual people to make a body. And so much of our Christianity is individualistic. You hear it all the time. Well, I can worship God better out in a tree stand than I can. Maybe you can, but that's not what you're called to do. Hold on. I felt it there, man. I was like, hold on, bud. I can worship better than you, sure can, but that's not what you're called to do. You should love the people of God, and loving the people of God is a sign of grace in your life. Do you know why it's a sign of grace in your life? Because you have to extend grace to be in the people of God. You know that to be true. We're going to put on VBS in a little while. Grace is going to have to be extended. First off, we're extending grace to kids, but we're going to have to extend grace to one another, because you're going to tick somebody off, and you're going to come in tired because of Two, two days of like, hey, teacher, 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 look at this. Look at this. Tap, 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 tap. Hey, I used to go on youth trips, and I hated my name because all I would hear all day is like, Matt, hey, Matt, Matt. I'm like, stop it. My name is Greg, okay, that, so I won't turn and look at you. Just just stop it. Matt, Matt, Matt. And I was like, do something on your own, okay? And I love, but I love the, and I, I, I have this affection for the, but The thing about this is we need to extend grace, and it's a grace place. And so we can extend grace because we've been extended grace. And so the church is supposed to be, it's right and good for us to love the people of God. And so if you are here today and you don't, this is a call for you to come to a new affection. And I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why you should move in, or you should grow in your affection for the church. And it's in verses 5 and 6. And so here's what I want to Put for you today in verse 5, it says this. Why was Paul thankful always praying for them with joy? And why is it right for him to feel like that? In verse 5, it says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because of your partnership with the gospel from the first day until now. It's right and good and joyf- right and good for us to be joyfully thankful for the church. Because in the church we are partnered in the gospel we are partnered for the gospel to take it out what does that mean well first off let's go ahead and diagnose what it means by gospel gospel is the good news of jesus christ the gospel means the death burial or the perfect life the death burial resurrection of jesus and the coming reign it is the central message it's the grace message of the church that all who believe, the grace of God is manifest in this that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, the perfect God man came to the earth died on a cross, raised to new life. He showed himself to be the victor over sin and death, and he ascended, and he's coming to reign again. That is the good news. And in that good news, God bears sin and shame that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is good news. And so Paul is saying here, one of the reasons I give such thanksgiving for you is because you are partnered with me in the gospel. Now, many of you, if you have a church background, you're gonna know this word I'm about to use, okay? It's a Greek word called, koinonia. If you've ever heard that word, can you just give me a hand up, okay? A few people. If you haven't, that's one of the major words that means fellowship. And in churches, usually fellowship, usually when we use that word, it involves chicken, okay? And it has something to do with us getting together to eat something, okay? But I'm going to post to you that word is far richer than we ever thought it to be, especially when we got there because it's translated partnership here, and I think rightly so. Okay, and so here is why Paul is thankful for them because they are partnered in the gospel. So here's the thing. Fellowship, or koinonia, involves and has as part of it partnership. When we think about it that way, it changes it. You ever done a school, we ever, ever signed a school project? I was, and it gets worse in college because in college they assign you a group project and it's like, oh, no, because then you got to, it's not like everybody's in the same location. Some people live in apartments. You don't know what the people are like. And so I, I remember very well getting a group project. You know, what, you know what a group project is? One person doing the work and everybody getting the credit, right? But they're your partners. So whatever, they, whatever you get, they get. Okay, you're supposed to partner together in it. If you were in a business and one partner was doing all the work and one partner was not, would that cause a conflict? Yeah. Well, why doesn't it cause a conflict in the church? Because here's the thing. This is not just a social club. This is a partnership. Do you remember, I'm going to go real nerd on you for a minute, okay? Okay. There's a book called The Fellowship of the Rings written by J. R. R. L. Tolkien, and there's a movie. Whether you like the movie or whether you like the book, we're all here. Do you know what happened? They had this ring, the ring of power, that they were trying to take to destroy at Mount Mordor. So what do they do? A group of people from all different parts of Middle Earth, you know, trolls and whatever. I know. I, was, I told you I'm going nerdy. Just hold. You've seen that movie. They're, like, super popular, and if you haven't, go watch it, okay? And so... Here's the thing, they, would, they were in Middle Earth and they had to go, they came together for a purpose to destroy this ring and to set people free from its evil influence. And so every person on this trek had a different thing to bring to the fellowship, okay? And I think Tolkien got it better than a lot of us do in churches today, is that fellowship is a partnership for the advancement of the gospel, In fact, I know a church that doesn't call the people, its members members, they call them partners because partners indicate that we need to work together for the advancement of the gospel. And I want you to get this. If you are coming and soaking up, that is all you are doing. You're not in fellowship, you're in absorption. Now, you're great if you're coming here and doing that for a while, but you can't stay there. And here's the thing that happens. You ever had a sponge before? You ever seen a sponge? Nobody has. <laughs> Take a sponge and dip it in water. Leave it on your counter and walk away. In about three or four days, depending on the climate, it's going to reek in your house. You know why? Maybe even more. You ever washed clothes before? We've washed the same load of clothes like seven times at my house, like this week. Oh, no, because you open it up. And you're like, oh, what happened? I put soap in there, and now it smells bad. It soaks, and then it sours because it's not meant to do – it doesn't do anything. And so Paul – here is these philippian believers have been partners with him in many different ways sending money praying sending people to help him there's going to be a guy named epaphroditus i know bad name but he's a good guy okay and so here's the thing that they're going to do these people have been in partnership with him in the gospel and so many people come to church and they get disillusioned with church you know why it's because all they come to do is sit and soak and then they sour and they want to be like, man, I'm just not getting anything out of that. Well, here's the thing: you were created to sit on the sidelines. You were created to be in a partnership. And here's the deal: we, the stakes are too high for us to let a few people do the work. We got this good news, this gospel, and we are to be partners in it. But some of us need to roll up our sleeves. Some of us also, we need to delegate and help other people roll up their sleeves, myself included, because reason to rejoice in the church, because this is a partnership. Every one of us should be going out for the sake of the gospel. Here's what Paul was thankful for, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, from the first day of their conversions till now. In fact, you see this, especially, we're going to talk about this story, a, the story, There's the story with the Philippian jailer and his whole household came to Christ and all Lydia's household came to Christ. They were both in, you can look at this up in Acts chapter 16, both of them, as soon as they were converted, they were winning people to Christ. Now, I want you to just, just this is just a freebie, okay? Say, this is the free portion of the sermon like you paid for the other part, okay? But here, here's the free part, okay? I want to just, just, just see this, okay? Best way to put this, we often think that we have to be experts before we do the work. If that's the case, you'll never do the work. Do you know how, and I might put on a good front to you, I might not. Do you know how many times I'm like, I don't know what to do with that? If you don't, it's regular, okay? Also, I'll share Jesus when I know how to answer all the questions. Well, you just won't ever share Jesus with anybody. Well, I'll serve once I feel more, Nah. Here's the thing, service leads to growth a lot of times. And so these people, when they've become, when these people in Philippi it included Lydia and it included uh, the Philippian jailer in his household, he, they went immediately and were doing the work before they were trained and as they went along. So this church would be consisting of those people. If you want to check that out, Acts 16, great. It's about the founding of this church. And we go on in verse 6 and it says this, I am sure of this. So he's thankful because of their partnership. And a church, well, one of the reasons you should be thankful is that a church is a partnership in the gospel. We are trying to get the gospel. Now it's not just a partnership for the partnership's sake. It's a partnership for the gospel, for us to make it known in our community, in our relationships, in our sphere of influence to the uttermost parts of the world. That's why Paul's thankful for this group. And then in verse 6 it says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So here is the great thing. One of the reasons you should rejoice is that God is at work in his church. All of them? I think so. Until he can remove his spirit. We've got Revelation 7, he can remove his spirit from the churches, but even some of those churches that are like dead. Like you open the door and you smell the corpse, Okay? It's like, oh. You look at the faces, and it smells like people are smelling corpses. I've preached there, okay, before. It's like, okay. I got that bitter church face, okay. Even there, you will see gospel. You will see people get saved, and you're like, what? How? How? Those people are awful. How? Because God works in his people, sometimes despite his people. And God had begun a good work there, and it was God's work It wasn't Paul's. Do you know how we can see this? If you go back to Acts 16, and this is going to be so important, Paul didn't want to go to Philippi or to Greece. He wanted to go somewhere else, and God stopped him a couple of times. We don't even know how he did that. We don't know if he sent an angel, whatever. We just know he couldn't go that way. Then he had a dream, and the dream said go to Macedonia. It was God's will that he go there, and then when he went there, it was hard. There was no Jewish synagogue for him to go to, so he goes out and he finds some ladies that were having a little Bible study out by this creek bank, and he finds them and he preaches the gospel and all of them get saved. And he's like, cool, all right? <laughs> he's probably surprised by that. Then she says, you got a place to say it? He's like, no. She's like, I'm rich, okay? So Lydia, she, she sells purple stuff, okay, which is like, I guess here you could get rich selling purple stuff, okay, for all the Travis County folks, okay. But that purple was like it was like a really expensive um, a, a fabric at the time, and so to get something purple was a big deal. So she was, man, she was in the fashion industry, and she was like, "Come on to my house, I got a big crib, okay." And so she brought them over. People in her house are converted. Then you know what happens next? Paul and them are preaching. There's this demonic. Um, oppression on this girl who's a fortune teller, and she's got all of these um, t- these these men who have bought in on her, and she's making them money as this fortune teller, this demon possessed fortune teller, and she's the demon in this girl is going and annoying Paul, and so he finally has enough, and he looks over and he says, "That's it, out of here, in the name of Jesus, and the 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 demon possession." leaves, okay, and the girl is healed, but the people who are making money off of her demon possession, possess- they're making money off of her being demon-possessed, they were mad, and so they beat them and threw them into prison. And so in the middle of the night, you know what these guys are doing? Another sense of joy. They're praising God after getting whooped and being in stocks. And these stocks would create leg cramps and everything. And so they're, reading, they're praising God and praying and singing. And you imagine all the people in the prison are like, shut up, okay? I'm trying to be miserable over here, okay? And they're just praising God. Yeah, you know what happens? Earthquake. All of the, the doors come open. The jailer's about to kill himself. Remember, this is a Roman society, and it'd be a lot of shame. And he knows, he knows if he doesn't kill himself, he will probably execute it if all those prisons go, prisoners run. And in a miraculous move of God. Remember, this is God. Could Paul cause the earthquake? The demon possession. Could Paul really cast out demons? No, it's the power of God. God's doing the work. They're just singing. Do you know how much our singing can do? Maybe annoy somebody. That's about all it can do, okay? They're just singing and praising God. He sends an earthquake. Can you make an earthquake happen? No, it's the work of God. Then what happens? Then the prisoners, they stay put. If you're in a cell and the cell opens, what you gonna do? You gonna roadrunner that stuff and gone. They stayed. Miracle. God's work. Then what happens? Says, don't kill your, Paul says, don't kill yourself. I'm gonna tell you by the grace of God. Philippian jailer saved his whole household was saved. God began a work. All of the church, the church is a manifestation of the work of Jesus Christ. God is at work. He can work through the most impossible situations. It is God's doing. Salvation is all God's work. It's him doing the work. And if he began a good work, he will complete it. He began a good work in your salvation. He began a good work in that church. He will complete it. He will bring it to pass. And what does he say here? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this, that Jesus, he began a work in the church, he will complete the work in the church. Now, it doesn't mean that every local expression will survive of the church, but that means the church universal will, will survive. And also this, every believer in Jesus individually if he began a good work in you which was not of your doing yes you received it by faith but he will complete it you are safe and secure he's going to complete it what if cancer comes what if what if divorce comes what if abandonment comes what if my kids turn on me? What if this? What if that? What if I lose my business? What if I do this? What if I, What happens here? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Nothing. Because he who began a good work will complete it. Recently, I've gotten to see this in action. Because God saved my grandmother and my grandfather, and I got to, put my, I got to be at the, the funeral for my, and I got to preach the funeral of my grandmother, and I want you to know this, through the Alzheimer's, through the cancer, through it all, he was faithful. He completed the work, and she's fine. I believe that. I've seen it. I've seen it time and time again that the Lord completes the work that he begins, and the church is a manifestation of a place where you can see God's grace in action. And Paul is so thankful for the work that was begun there and the work that is continuing. And he knows that God will bring it to completion. Do you know why? Because God is strong. Nothing can stand against him. And so here's how I, I want us, here's one thing I want us to think at the moment. But Matt, what, what, what happens if, when I think about the church I don't get hit right in the feels. Like the feelings I have are not the feelings Paul has. I maybe don't, I maybe have some animosity, indifference. What happens if that's the case? Do, does God really command me to change my emotions? And the answer is yes. So here's a couple of things I like, I like to, to say. First off, I want want all of us to learn something. Simple phrase. One word that's a contraction, and then one other. I'm wrong. Yes, we all need to learn how to say this. I'm wrong. If you think this way about the church, you're wrong. If you feel this way about the church you're wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying what they've done to you is right. I'm saying the people of God. You're wrong. I love you enough to say that. and I'm wrong if I think otherwise. And we just need to learn how to say that because you remember the video we started off with? You are far more sinful than you could ever imagine, and you are far more loved than you could ever hope. That's exactly true. So you know what you need to say? I'm wrong. I repent, which means I turn. So some of you may just say, I'm wrong. I thought about church this way, but I am wrong. I'm wrong. I'm not going to try to justify. I'm not going to say, I'm sorry if you thought I thought this, God. I'm sorry if it was your problem, God. No, I am wrong. You repent, and then you repeat to yourself what is true. Or preach to yourself what is true, and you say the other thing out it is a lie, because when you change your thinking, remember it's right for Paul to feel slash think this way about the church, feeling and thinking are correlated and related in the bible ideas, so then change your thinking i've seen it happen in many ways i've seen marriages come back together when people say those, that one contraction and the other one, I'm wrong. And not, but you! Okay, no, 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 no. It starts off with I'm wrong. If you have marriage problems, you need to just go ahead and hold up your right hand and say I'm wrong. Before you go, you're wrong, okay? They know they're wrong. They may not tell you. Everybody needs to say I'm wrong. How many times have I seen this? I'm wrong and then what happens? Grace of God moves in and once you own that you start speaking truth to yourself. You start saying, "Maybe he's not the worst person in the world. Maybe I don't want to hit him with a truck." Okay, maybe I do see the good things that he does, and you might, uh, and late, and, and it might be on the other side. Like, yes, I do see. All the caring that's in my wife. I do see those things. We see it all the time. And so here's what I mean. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to say, if you have that opinion of the church, I'm wrong. I hope you repent. And I hope you get in there and you preach to yourself what's true. And, and you also say what is false. And so here's what's true the church is something to be joyfully thankful about. The grace of God is there. God is working in there. He will complete his work. That is right and good for me to do. And I, I, right now, I renounce and will not say it's a bad thing. And I will commit myself to a local body of believers, knowing that they need grace just like I need grace. And I will say that until, and I will hold on white-knuckled through all the chaos, through all the junk, because I know God works in the church and he told me to do this. And Paul represents an attitude that is right and good to think. And eventually, if you change your thinking, your feelings will follow suit with the power of the Spirit of God. And yes, God commands our, our affections. And he works in us. And, this, and here's the good thing. If he changes you through that thinking, it's all his work. Because he who began a good work in you will complete it until Jesus comes back. And so this may be for us a day. It's two, twofold in how we respond this morning. Some of us need to just repent. Of our view and attitude towards the church, secondly, some of us you just need to hear that he who began a good work in you will complete it he you didn't begin the work, you received it and and he will complete it. God is faithful, you just need to know that I don't know what you're going through you just need somebody just needs that. It's true it's from him. He's going to complete it whatever you stand against. Let's pray. Father, we come as we conclude our time together. We we say we are wrong if anything we believe, feel, act upon is contrary to you and your word. We're wrong. We repent. And we know that this, if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and to remove all our unrighteousness. I always believe that. It's true. It's true. So, God, today, I pray that you would make your church full of partners for the gospel, full of love and grace, God, full of a place where we repent to one another and to you and that And that we love one another and that we are for the gospel going out. And God, I also pray for those in here who are just struggling, just hanging on by the fingernails to the ledge. That you would know that if you began a good work, you'll complete it. Oh God, you're so good to us. Thank you for your word. Let it dwell richly in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. God is faithful. Let's stand, and we're going to be dismissed with these words, okay? Hear these words of benediction. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Go in that sure hope. You're dismissed.